We're in a series together focusing on the kingdom of God, walking through the parables of Jesus. And today we're in Luke chapter 16, so you can turn there. If you brought a Bible on your phone, find Luke chapter 16. It's a parable called The Rich Man and Lazarus. And today we're going to think about eternity. It's Palm Sunday. I believe Jesus on Palm Sunday was thinking about eternity. And we're in a culture that focuses on me right now. What do I feel? And we want to step out of that to get God's picture of the kingdom of eternity today. And as we think about eternity, I'd also say that this is one of the strongest and most intense parables. And Jesus uses different tones in different times. And this is one that's very direct. Sometimes we need a strong message to move us. And there's going to be an invitation to respond after the message as well. We're in Luke chapter 16. And I encourage you, because this is such an important week, and I admit, I'm tempted to think ahead in what's all coming up and next weekend and all the details. But could we right now just focus on this place, this moment, this time, meet with God right here, open up our minds and hearts and be hungry for God together and just receive what God has for us today. And Jesus is speaking to us through this parable. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for communicating with us, for caring, for being persistent and pursuing us, being patient. Forgive us our sin, God. We rebel, we fall short, we're often selfish. Cleanse us today, renew us today. God, help us to think about you in eternity in what really matters in life and shift our hearts towards your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Know the difference between the real gospel and the false gospels. The real gospel has two parts. The first part is that Jesus died for our sins. And that means that the sinless Savior, fully human and fully God, is our substitute. Love includes sacrifice. There's no greater sacrifice or love. He didn't just talk about love. He demonstrated it. And he became sin so that the wrath of God was poured out upon him. We receive his forgiveness. And what a Savior that would die for our sins. That is the first half of the gospel. The second half is that Jesus Christ on the third day overcame death. He is risen. He's the only religious leader not in the grave. He's defeated death and darkness. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will return to rule and reign forever. This is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the power of God for salvation for anyone who will believe. It is not something that I made up or you made up or any human can make up. It's God's revelation. It's God's truth about who he is and what he's done. There's passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ because this is what changes hearts, not the law of the land. I want to be clear about the gospel. No one told me until college and then I've never heard anything better. And yet there's so many false gospels. Jesus was surrounded by false gospels and we too have false gospels that are circulating today. Any false gospel is one that says you can earn your way to heaven through being good enough, doing enough good works, so ultimately impressing and earning your forgiveness. That is a false gospel. The Bible says not by works. Here's a false gospel that Jesus was addressing and the Pharisees carried this. The rich are righteous. Now we hear that and we know that's junk. If you're rich, you're righteous. That doesn't, that, no, that's, that's from the pit. That's not coming from God. This is how they rationalized it. We are so 
they thought, self-righteous and obedient, that because we're so obedient to God, he has to bless us. And the way he blesses us is money. And the Pharisees loved money. So money's the proof that we're righteous and accepted by God. Look at our money. That was a false gospel that they're rich and self-righteous. Well, again, we can see this 2,000 years later and think that's nonsense, that's junk, but we've got the same kind of junk pervasive today. Over half of Americans think you get to heaven by being good enough or earning it. And sadly, in so many Christian circles, radio stations, television stations, there's the prosperity false gospel that's preached, and the message is, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. And that is prevalent around the world, doing all kinds of damage. People think, if I follow Jesus, then I'll be healthy and wealthy. And that message goes out, it's a false gospel. You've got to know the difference between the real gospel and the false gospels that are circulating today. Jesus shares this parable to obliterate the false gospels and specifically that the rich are righteous. This is a strong message to self-righteous religious people. Now let's take a look in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked Lazarus's sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. As we think about eternity, the first truth is that this life is not as important as the afterlife. Let me say that again. This short and fleeting life is not as important as the afterlife. So choose compassion, not consumption. The culture is addicted to consumption. And the kingdom is a message of compassion. Consumption or compassion? Your story, your legacy, it's gonna lean one way or another. It's either gonna be look at all that you've consumed or look at the great compassion that flowed out of your life. The rich man chose consumption. He wasn't that interested in compassion. He flipped the kingdom truth. The rich man lived in luxury. He had all he wanted in this life. And people said, what a success. This man is so blessed. And yet there's more to the story As we consider his heart, his heart was filled with greed, self-centered, stingy, me first, self-righteous. And there's no question that Jesus brought this parable to the Pharisees and this rich man represented in many ways the Pharisees. And he was going to challenge them. There's a double irony in this passage. Receiving so much provision from God and yet being selfish. That's an irony, to receive so much from God and yet still be stingy? What's going on? And then the second piece of irony is to be so religious, yet so hard-hearted towards those in need. 
to be so religious and spiritual, but to be so tight-fisted towards those in need. This does not honor God. This is not in alignment with heaven. And what a tragedy that this rich man spent his entire life climbing the wrong ladder. Do you know how many people climb the next promotion, the next consumption, the next position, more admiration, my reputation, and they're climbing their whole lives. And at the end of their lives, they're going to look and say, I was climbing the wrong ladder, a ladder that didn't really matter. And now I realize it. Hopefully they'll come to their senses and realize it. But so many people are climbing the wrong ladder and their soul has poverty. Poverty in their soul. That's what the rich man has. And there's a contrast here. And it really teaches us in life, what matters is the amount of love you have, not the amount of money. The amount of compassion, not consumption. The amount of generosity, not religiosity. You see, there's a difference. So we've got to sort out what really matters in life. This is a parable that says, how are you going to live? What's really important to you? And I'm so grateful that you are a welcoming, kind, generous church family. And it shows up in so many expressions. Glory to God. One of them is the Good Samaritan Fund. And I want to share this because I think it will encourage you. And sometimes you don't get to see what difference you're making. Sometimes I get letters, and there's good ones and weird ones. (laughs) I get these envelopes to show up, and I don't know, weird or good, so I say a prayer, prepare my spirit. This is a good one, so I like these. Uh, This says, you're amazing, God. When it says, you're amazing, God, on the front, and the you're amazing is there, and then they add God with an exclamation point. Well, to Grace Community Church, I want to thank you for your generosity with obtaining two less medical bills. So many people and families have been helped through the Good Samaritan Fund. Our church is such an inspiration to our Auburn community. You bring God to people and it changes lives. I wanna honor pastors, volunteers, small groups, leaders, missions, and the help we get for the youth. I'm filled with a thankful heart and with so much gratitude. I want you to hear that, to know that when you bless someone, it really does change their life and it leads them to thank God and it leads them to a life of gratitude and it makes a difference during some key times, a life of compassion and generosity. In this parable, we have a contrast. The first contrast is the rich man and Lazarus. Well, who's Lazarus? Lazarus is someone, and this is the only parable where there's a first name that's personal. So some people think, well, maybe it isn't a parable. I tend to lean that it is a parable. We know that Lazarus was poor. He was crippled. He's a beggar, hungry, not very healthy, and he has sores. Imagine this next week, if you spent the week begging you weren't healthy, you had sores all over your body, and dogs came and licked your sores. How would that feel for a week, not to mention months or years? Dogs licking your sores. The rich people had all kinds of food, and they had some extra leftovers, and they would take their leftovers, and they would fling it to the dogs and those begging. 
And there was a scramble and the dogs were vicious and sometimes the dogs would get there first and someone like Lazarus wouldn't get any food. You see, he has a hard time fending off the dogs and warding off the dogs. None of us want dogs licking our sores, but he is such a point in life where he's so helpless, he can't even keep all the dogs away from licking his sores. And there's a lot of times he can't get to the food before the dogs come. But here's his name. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew name, which means God the helper. Lazarus means God, the helper. God, my helper. God, even in this situation, I'm gonna trust you. God, I'm gonna depend on you. God, I'm gonna stay close to you because no matter what life throws at you, you can always abide with God. You can always pray. You can always worship. You can always trust him. And that's what Lazarus has, although he doesn't have much else. That's his name, trusting God. So what a contrast between the rich man and Lazarus as we enter into the parable. Here's a second contrast, their burial. The rich man, he's buried. It's a nice burial. There's a service to honor him. A lot of people grab the open mic and they share and they wax eloquent about what a wonderful rich man this was. And they would talk and sing his praises at this nice funeral where his body was buried Very, very respectfully. Well, here's the contrast. Not so much for Lazarus. What happened to him when he died? He was tossed aside. The city dump. No one recognized him. No one honored him. No one gave the message that his life matters or anyone really cares about him. He was just finally out of the way. What a difference. What a contrast. He was overlooked. Death is an equalizer. We're all gonna face death. Death is a reset. And ultimately, death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And this life is not as important as eternity. And that's highlighted through the third contrast. This third contrast, the rich man, he wasn't prepared for the afterlife. He was so focused on consumption and himself in this life and feeling good and the next pleasure and what else can I have and own? that he missed the importance of the kingdom in the afterlife. And yet Lazarus was carried, carried by the angels into the presence of God. Welcome home. Welcome home, Lazarus. Welcome home. And there's a lot for us to think about in this parable. Jesus makes some kingdom shifts and some kingdom reversals. Jesus would often tell stories where you think it's going one way and then he would flip it and he'd say, this is what the kingdom is like. Whoever's gonna be last will be first and who you see as first right now is going to be last. And whoever humbles himself is gonna be exalted, but whoever walks around in pride is gonna be humbled. And those who mourn right now, they're gonna be comforted because this is the kingdom of God and Jesus has the final say. Turn the person next to you and say, Jesus has the final say. Jesus has the final say. So choose compassion over consumption and don't just think about right now, think about eternal realities. Jesus continues in the parable and in verse 25, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things. But now Lazarus is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. 
The truth as we consider eternity is there's no crossing over between heaven and hell. Now, I was a basketball player back in the day. Uh, Guard, Allen Iverson was someone I watched all the time. He had a crossover. Anyone remember Allen Iverson's crossover? I know that's old school. But he would would get them leaning one way and cross over and the defender would trip, stumble, fall. He would lean one way, go the other way so quick, breaking ankles. There was a crossover and everyone was just like, wow, look at Iverson. Never seen it played out like that, that crossover. Wow, so in the basketball world, it was a wow. And you might have some things that are a wow in your life where it's kind of a crossover and things switch. There's no wow, there's no crossover like the crossover here on earth when someone crosses over from death to life. When someone crosses over from, yes, guilty and sin, but now a full pardon from sin, from distant and separated from God to peace with God, from outside of God's family into yes, in his family forever, not going to heaven, going to heaven. That is the greatest miracle that any of us will ever see. It's a crossover that's happening every day on earth. The devil can't stop it. The kingdom grows. People are choosing Jesus, choosing heaven today all over the world. What a crossover. And yet that crossover needs to happen before we die because once we die, there's no crossover. Once we die and we don't know when we're gonna die, then we come before God and things are set. Things are set for eternity. Here we read the word hell, Hades, 11 times in the New Testament. Sheol is the place and the the word in the Old Testament, a place of separation from a holy God. It's a place of torment. And even though we've all sinned, there'll be many who don't, they're not willing to receive the forgiveness from God. They're not willing to receive the love from God. They're not willing to receive the reality of God and his goodness. And so in their stubbornness, they await final judgment. Someone uses the illustration or the metaphor. It's kind of like they die, they're in the front porch, and then they're awaiting that final judgment. What is that final judgment? In the book of Revelation chapter 20, it's very clear in the Bible. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The book of life is where you want your name. And when you put your trust in Jesus, your name is written in the book of life forever. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. We are held accountable. We have rebelled against God. There is a final judgment. We do come before God and we all need the grace and forgiveness of God, which was given freely through Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven which we may be saved. There's no greater offer for your soul or for eternity. This is God demonstrating his love towards us. And the other place is paradise, Abraham's side. Believers in the Old Testament, Abraham's side. It's also called paradise, Paul says, and he describes getting caught up in paradise. Jesus on the cross turns to the thief next to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. What an eternal contrast. And I understand this is intense. I, when I think about 
hell, sometimes it feels like I could just be knocked over. My mind can't understand it all. And uh, some people get upset about these realities of heaven and hell. And there is in our culture today a tendency to try to deny it or downplay it and doubt it. But Jesus said over and over and over and over and over and over and continued over and over again the reality of heaven and hell. Literal, eternal. These are real, significant. We've gotta take this in. Some people get so upset that if you teach heaven and hell, they're leaving the church and never coming back. But you know what? Our role is just to be faithful and trust God with the results. And if Jesus says it, then why would I or anyone here wanna contradict Jesus as if he doesn't know what he's talking about or what we need to know when we consider eternity? And so there we have it, heaven and hell to take in. And sometimes I wonder, do you ever wonder when you're reading the Bible, sometimes I wonder why would anyone reject Why would anyone be so stubborn? I was for 18 years, so I get it. But why would anyone reject such a kind and loving offer? Why would anyone be so stubborn to say, I'd rather have it my way in hell than to honor and receive the love of God? Why would anyone want that when you got those two options? But that's a hard heart I can relate to. And then sometimes I wonder, Uh, God, could there have been a different way? But logically, I get it. Rationally, I get it. God is perfect. You can't just come into his presence carrying a bunch of sin that's unpaid for and that's not gonna happen with the holy God. So we do need forgiveness and he has offered it. But just emotionally, sometimes I wonder. Emotionally, it's difficult because the people I love and in my family, I've been praying for decades, like they're still stubborn and don't wanna receive God's love. And so emotionally, I think, But you know, I have to go to that place where it's God, I trust you. And my mind is so small and yours is the kingdom and the glory. And ultimately, I know God, you're gonna get it right. And I know who's supposed to be here will be here and who's supposed to be there will be there. And I know there's gonna be surprises because there's some people we think are gonna be in heaven and they're not. And there's gonna be some people that we didn't think or didn't want to be in heaven and they are. Just being honest in church, that's not a sin to be honest in church. And, and, and so there's gonna be, God's gonna sort it out. And so we're gonna trust God with it. I, my results are not my role. Results are not your role, but you are given a role from God. And don't deny that role. You see, wherever there's a chasm, there's a calling. And that's a principle throughout scripture. There's a chasm in our culture right now between the generations, misunderstanding, distance, putting one another down, look down upon each other, isolation. And so our calling is to bring the generations together. We celebrate that at Grace Community Church. We wanna unite and love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, serve one another across generations. There's a chasm in our culture around ethnicity and people from different nations. And we wanna shatter that chasm. We wanna come together in true love and unity. We wanna open up our homes and we wanna open up our hearts and have friendships. And we wanna build that unity that glorifies Jesus. We wanna do something about that chasm. There's a chasm between kids right now who are 
orphans and a chasm between forever families. And we don't just want to sit back passive about that chasm. We want to make a difference. We want to care. We want to pray. We want to adopt. We want to go out of our way the second mile to care for those kids that don't have a forever family. And there's a chasm right now between clean water and food in kids around the world and thousands that are dying every day because they don't have clean water and food. So we want to walk or run or do something so that chasm will start to shrink and kids will have clean water and food. And there's a chasm around Auburn. There's so many right now that are addicted to one drug after another and heroin. And right now they're shooting up and they're drunk and it's Sunday morning. There's a chasm to sobriety and freedom. And we don't want to walk around all religious acting like none of that's happening in our city. We want to do something about it. And so when you take in the chasm between heaven and hell, it's just too great a chasm to be passive or silent or pretend like I'm just going to live in my comfortable world with a bunch of consumption to numb my pain. No, I want to be part of the solution of being faithful to God, seeing people come to know Jesus and the kingdom growing. This is happening. We celebrate this. Our international partner is just another example. Praise God. And this is a recent report for the mechanical and medical training. And this is to Christ followers in West Africa. There were 12 who were trained medically, 15 trained with farming, and they completed the week-long trainings. After graduating and receiving their certificate, and what a good thing, they looked to see who they could serve. When God gives you and equips you and gifts and talents and resources, then you look around to see, now who can I serve? Because whom much is given, much is required. And then praise for how God has used one of those trained medically to participate after graduating, traveling to an unreached. Sometimes you need to go where no one else is going. An unreached village in a neighboring country with a population of about 2,000 people. He taught them about germs, washing hands, and how to make clean water. Sanitation, hygiene, clean water. Then he shared the gospel with the village and 164 people came to the saving knowledge of Christ and were baptized at a local home. If some of you start baptizing 164 people in your house, we're just going to thank God and celebrate with you. You know, there's no limits to what God wants to do, but it starts with a conviction and a calling, and it's one of compassion at one that sees chasms and said, there's no way I'm going to stay silent and passive anymore. Jesus was mobilizing the disciples in this parable, and he's moving us. He's moving our hearts. Now, the parable ends, verse 27. Jesus and continues with this parable, and the rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, the rich man said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. 
And the third truth about eternity, if you could see heaven or hell for a few minutes, if we could take a road trip right now for just a couple of minutes and then return to your seats, how much more would your life be focused now on Jesus, knowing Christ, and making him known? That's the calling. The rich man has a first request. Could you just dip a little water on my tongue? He's still in that. Could you serve me? Could, could you help me? There's no remorse. Just give me some water. But that stirs our compassion. And then his second request, which is much more significant. What does he say? Go tell my five brothers so they will repent. The cry from hell is go tell. The cry from hell is you who can in our alive, go tell. Don't miss that cry today. The cry from hell is for you to go tell and not be silent. The power of the Holy Spirit. And he falsely assumes that if they hear, then they're gonna believe. If they see someone rising, if they see someone overcoming death, then they're gonna turn to God. And that assumption is false. And Abraham points out they have scriptures, they have the message, they have God's word. This isn't about seeing someone with a sign overcoming death. This is about the hardness of their hearts. This isn't about how many miracles and how much evidence they're gonna see. This is all centered on the hardness of their hearts. And yes, there are gonna be resurrections. And yes, we do need to tell everyone, but what it's gonna come down to is the hardness of their hearts. The resurrections, the resurrections continue. Um, There's so much resuscitations continue. Listen, if someone rises from the dead, this happens in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. Lazarus dies, Jesus weeps. Jesus enters into the pain and the grief and the mourning that we have. And then Jesus boldly proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. And he walks over to that grave where Lazarus has been laying dead. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And they take off the grave clothes. And this one who's been dead is now alive. There's a resuscitation. There's a miracle. There's a sign. And yet the religious are so hard-hearted that they'll say no to God's miracles even when the evidence is right here. They will say no, even if there's sign after sign after sign, they'll say no, no, no. They are so religious that they're missing the Messiah, that they're missing the miracles. And that tension, this is how it plays out in John chapter 11. After Lazarus is risen, and keep reading your Bibles after he rises, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. See, those with an open heart saw the truth. They believed in Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This Jesus, he's raising people from the dead. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees, they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's what religious people do. They call committees and then they decide for God what's true and not true. What are we accomplishing, they asked Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. They chose fear instead of faith. And what was their ultimate decision? John chapter 12, look at this. John chapter 12, verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus. You would think they would say, The Messiah is here. He's raising people from the dead as prophesied. 
Wouldn't it be easier to just honor Jesus at this point? Wouldn't it be easier to just receive the love of God at this point? But no, instead, what do they do? I know, here's a plan. Let's kill Lazarus and we'll kill Jesus and try to get rid of all the evidence that he's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the battle between light and darkness that we see in our world today. And as the light shines brighter, the darkness wants to overcome the light. And the same in John chapter 12 is the same today. The evidence abounds. The resurrection of Jesus, see, because his resurrection is next. And the evidence is so clear. The evidence that he said he would do this on the third day. Luke chapter nine, he laid it out for them ahead of time. Like this is a slam dunk. He said, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. Jesus laid it out what's gonna happen. Jesus overcame death. He's the only one where the grave is empty. He appeared to over 500. He made many appearances. It's written down in scripture. The Holy Spirit, I mean, there's just one after another. I resisted it all until I saw all the evidence laid out. And my mind with intellectual integrity just said, I can't resist this any longer. The historical evidence that's there for the resurrection You see, this is the wrestling that's going back and forth. And they thought, let's just kill because the darkness wants to overwhelm the light. The light of God is shining in our land. Maybe you heard about Asbury and what happened and started on that one campus, led to dozens of campuses, led to nations where revival and worship and praise and people turning to Jesus, it hasn't stopped yet. And as it happened in Asbury, I was talking this week with one of the pastors that's a leader there and he's been through a lot. You know, he lost one of his daughters. And as this started to happen and God was showing up and changing lives, he was overwhelmed. And he thought as a leader, and if you lead sometimes and things start to take off and grow, you can feel a little overwhelmed. And he just felt like, God, this is gonna crush me. I don't know how to lead this. There were people driving over 30 hours from Central America just to come and worship Jesus. There's people coming from all these nations to seek Jesus. And he's like, I don't know how to lead this. And he sensed that God whispered to him, this isn't gonna crush you because I've already crushed you. I've already crushed your pride. So I'm choosing to bring this now. You're ready. And you know, there's such a hunger and a humility. God will often crush your pride before he uses you in mighty ways. He really will. And there was such a hunger and humility. They had a green room for anyone that was gonna be up front. And there'd be some food, a place to hang out. It's comfortable. You know, you chit chat. What happens before you come out? They said, we're not doing a green room anymore. We're just having a consecrated room. And no one's coming up until you spend at least a half hour in the consecrated room and you confess sins and you get right with God because God's doing a holy work right now and this is holy ground. And you know what else? There were so many college students that are so gifted right now. God has gifted this generation in amazing ways. And yet what they decided and what they declared, it became an anthem, is that our gratitude will outpace our giftedness. This isn't about people and gifts. This is about gratitude to God. Our gratitude will outpace our giftedness. And and I'm not trying to say that everything in Asbury is just right or everything's smooth or easy. In fact, what he shared this week is that the death threat started coming right away. 
What would that be like to see God bring revival and then all the death threats pouring in? I mean, I read a sweet letter today, you know, about thanking God for his goodness. What do you do when your email and text and what do you do in the mail when the death threats come in? Do you still keep going forward with the revival? Do you still keep following Jesus boldly? Like, what do you do in that moment? Like, that was his life. That's what he had to decide. That was Jesus in this passage. That's the disciples who are gonna be murdered. And there's a decision Are we really gonna think about eternity and do what counts for the kingdom and lay down our lives for the people around us or are we gonna play it safe? And Jesus shares this parable and he's really just going for our hearts. That's what Jesus is going for. He's going for our hearts. And I wanna give an invitation now, two invitations. There's two parts to this. The first part is that you might be in this room today and if you died today, we don't want that. Our teams are ready, but we don't want that. Uh, If you died today, where would you spend eternity? And you can know that you know that you're going to heaven. And you might be here and you haven't made that decision yet to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're here and it just hasn't been super clear for you. And I was talking to someone this week, just really unsure. We're talking about the assurance of salvation. So for you, if it's been not yet or it's not clear You can know, and this is how you know two things, the work of Jesus and the word of Jesus. You don't earn it through your performance. You don't sustain it and keep it by being good enough. That's not where the assurance comes from. Jesus Christ gives you a full pardon because his death covers all your sins. And it's through faith in Jesus. You say, well, how do I know? Because my feelings go all over the place. Well, feelings do, but here's the fact. Jesus gives a promise for God so loved the world that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but you're gonna have eternal life. He said at that funeral with Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though you die physically, you're gonna live forever. It's the promise of God. How do you know? How are you assured of your salvation? It's because of Jesus's work for you. It's a gift. And then it's Jesus's promise because he keeps it and he's faithful. But for you, you've gotta respond and receive. Nothing's forced. So I'm gonna ask us all to stand up right now. And for those who are ready, to walk forward, just come forward here to the front close to me. You're not gonna have to say anything or do anything. But if you're here today, I remember my sophomore year in college and I thought I was maybe gonna go to heaven. I was you know, thinking yes to Jesus. But then Brian and Mike said, you need to make a clear decision so that you know that you know. And I'm gonna ask anyone, someone in nine o'clock came forward. You can just come forward here. You're not gonna have to give a speech or do anything. I'm just gonna pray for you. If you're here today and you're not sure if you're going to heaven, and you want the assurance of salvation, you just slide forward, whichever your aisle is, you just come forward now, you just come forward. You say, I've been wrestling in my soul and I just don't know. I just can't tell. And today I wanna know, I wanna know. I wanna make it clear. I wanna make it clear. Jesus says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of him. You're just coming forward to receive Jesus and online as well. Anyone ready to say yes today? yesterday. People will let you and your aisle slip by. Don't worry about people sitting next to you. You just say, can I slip by right here? Can I slip by for a second? And then you come forward in the same online as the invitation goes out. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful, that you guarantee salvation, and we can have the confidence and the assurance. It's not pride. It's simply trusting you and you're faithful to deliver. God, each person in this room who hasn't decided or is 
just been going back and forth with feelings, evaluating their performance over and over again. Free them from that and give them the assurance of salvation. Pray in Jesus' name. And then a second invitation, if you're here today and regarding making Jesus known, God has been speaking to you and there's a conviction that you've been cautious, you've been silent, you've been sometimes intimidated, you've been fearful of what other people think. And God's been moving. And I remembered when I didn't want to talk about Jesus and I went on a missions trip, told everyone on the trip, I'm not going to talk about Jesus. Spring break, Daytona Beach. By the end of that trip, it was like, what did God just do? Because I ended up talking to strangers about Jesus and it was a defining moment in my walk with God. I wasn't going to go back to campus the same. I just wasn't going to be the same person. And it's really easy to have a spirit of caution and fear and timidity, but not power and love. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, there's a power and a love for the kingdom of God. And if you know today that, that you're ready to step out of that caution and you're, you're just sensing, here am I, send me. That's where it starts. It's not about your gifts. It's about your availability. You just say, here am I, God, send me. When COVID started three years ago, a second time happened for me where God brought conviction. It's a sweet conviction, but you know when it's his voice and his conviction to say, I have more for you. I don't just want you to watch. And for me during the pandemic, God made it clear. I'm not just gonna watch what's gonna happen right now, but God's calling me to say some things about Jesus in some new places and with a different boldness and with a different courage. And I can't, I can't just keep doing how I've been doing it. There's more that God has. And I need to step up and speak up in this culture right now. And maybe you've been sensing that. And so I'm gonna invite you to come forward right now. I'm gonna pray for you. Come forward if you've been sensing and wanna say, God, here am I, send me. Where I live, work, learn, or play for the kingdom. God, this is a new season. And I don't just wanna be in the rut I've been in. God, I'm ready to make a difference. God, I sense your conviction. Listen, it starts with conviction and then the opportunities are gonna come. It starts with a conviction that God, you've given me gifts. You've given me relationships. It starts with a conviction for such a time as this. I can't just watch what's going on in our streets. I can't just watch what's going on in the world today. I can't just watch those kids dying without clean water. I can't just stay quiet when people don't know Jesus. I'm not gonna do that. It's not how I'm gonna live for Jesus. It's not how I'm going to respond to this world. God, you've been moving and I need you, God. Coming forward is not saying you're self-sufficient. It's just saying, God, here am I. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah, you know, he had unclean lips and he said, woe to me, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. And sometimes you might be still stuck on sin that God's forgiven you for. And you're still living in guilt and shame that God wants to free you from. And now God is mobilizing his people. God is raising up an army of hope for such a time as this in the sound. And if you sense that it's time to not stay in that guilt and shame anymore, but like Isaiah say, God, touch these unclean lips. And God, I'll speak for you. God, I'll go. I will not bow down to the idols of this culture. I will not stay silent about the Lord Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. God's stirring. God's stirring. Let's encourage the people who have come forward. God's stirring. It's not easy to come forward. God's stirring. I want us together to pray for the people that have come forward. 
Father God, we thank you how you pour out your spirit into vessels, God. God, take these vessels, these temples of the Holy Spirit that have come forward. God, pour out your spirit, God. Fill these people, God, with power in love, God, that they would say yes to their calling. They would say yes, God. Give them courage, God. Give them opportunities. Give them boldness. Help them to serve when no one's looking, God. Help them to lay down their lives. Help them to go to the places you're calling them to go. God, help them to use their talents for your glory, to step out of consumption and selfishness. God, and be kingdom-minded and think about eternity. God, light them on fire today, we pray. God, move in their souls, anoint them. And God, we pray that you would get the glory as we send them out, God, as they're commissioned, that you would get the glory, God, when you open a door, no one can shut it. God, we thank you for the open doors that are coming as you go ahead of us. We praise you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.